Again, good morning. Good morning. Thought done. she done. Hit start off. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So I was reading, studying, trying to figure out what I was going to preach on this morning, and kept coming back to Colossians. It's not a very big book. It's a good book to read, though, if you have time. And I encourage you to read past where we're going to stop today, and especially read before where we start, but these verses really stuck out to me. And it's mainly because of one of the it, it, the very last verse. And I'm going to go ahead and jump down there to that last verse. And I want to read it to you, and I want you to keep that verse on your mind. Chapter 3, verse 11. It says, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, scathian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. I want to talk a little bit about what that verse tells me about the nature of Christ. Is that He's not looking at where you come from. He's not looking at what you've been through. He's not looking at what you're going through because all of that can change. He's looking at who you are in your heart and in your mind. He's looking at how you can serve Him and help Him spread the gospel message of salvation to others. He's wanting you to accept Him wherever you're at. He is all and in all. He doesn't discriminate based on your ancestry. Although a lot of people want to do that. He doesn't discriminate on your cultures, although a lot of people want to do that. He doesn't care about your ethnicity or where you came from. He cares about what you can do for the gospel, what you can do to serve the church, because it doesn't matter any of that other stuff. He can use you. He took a Pharisee who was stoning Christians and turned them into the most prolific and influential person in the first century. That most of our New Testament comes from this one person's writings. Who was stoning Christians. He was holding the coats of the people who stoned Stephen to death. And Christ used him. He changed the heart of an emperor and completely converted a nation. Constantine professed Christ on his deathbed. And from that point forward, the Roman Empire became the Holy Roman Empire, answering to the church as its main authority. Christ can do that. That's not to say there wasn't corruption in the church later. There was. That's not to say there's not corruption in the church today. There is. Because anybody who has a bit of power can abuse it. Not to say there's not corruption in government. We know there is. But he can use people of influence. And he can use people of little to nothing. Because he also took a woman who was possessed with demons. And made her the first evangelist. Mary Magdalene was the first one to see the resurrected Christ. 
and the first one to deliver the message that he has risen. Because Christ can use anybody. Great and small. And so Paul's writing to the church in Colossae. And he's telling them about some of the things that's going on that people are indulging in. And he's warning them against that. That they are set apart and different from the world that they're living in. The Colossae is a very sinful city. If we were to compare it to America of the time, uh, you know, if we were to compare that area to America, we'd probably say Colossae would be in New Orleans or Las Vegas. The city wrought with sin. And to try and evangelize in the middle of that would be very difficult. Because every turn you take will be met with destruction and distraction and would be met with opposition. And Paul is trying to encourage his people to stand strong and stay steady in their faith. So when we back up to chapter 2, verse 20, Paul's reminding them of who they belong to. And he says, If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulation? He's reminding them of the choice they made when they accepted Christ's salvation. You've died with Christ to the things of this world. Quit living like you're a part of it. He says, he, he names a few of the regulations. And it's not just regulations from the world, but it's regulations that come from worldly leaders in the church. He says, do not handle, don't taste, don't touch. But he was getting messages from church leaders who were saying, you don't handle this. You don't, you don't eat this food. You don't drink this food. You don't touch these things. And it was old, old commands that had come up that Christ had already covered and taken care of. Back in Mark, we see Christ telling the people, don't worry about what you eat. I've made it clean. We see God speak to Peter and tell him what I have made clean. You cannot make dirty. He's saying that those rules don't really matter anymore. You need to reach the people. And so Paul's reminding them of this. And he's telling them, why are we submitting to these regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. And verse 22 says, all these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. And although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. So he's saying they have a reputation of being good commandments. They have a reputation of being good rules. And it's because society sees them as good rules. But societal rules change. Church doctrines have changed. Different religious traditions change. God doesn't change. Christ doesn't change. Christ has given us two simple rules. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
He narrowed it down to simplicity just because he knew we couldn't handle all the rules that have already come before and the constant changing of those rules. Abraham was considered holy before any of those rules were ever written. Noah was righteous before those rules were ever written. Enoch was so righteous he walked with God before any of those rules were ever written. So what made those rules right? It's because people believed they were right. And it's much the same today. We have so many different regulations and rules and everything going on that's set forth by different church cultures. The Baptists have one rule. The Methodists have another. Catholics have different rules. Presbyterians have different rules. Pentecostals have different rules. Nazarenes have different rules. But when you really look at it, you bear down to the Scripture, at the core, we all believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We all believe in salvation through Jesus Christ. We're coming up on a holiday that many people peg as pagan. And I'm not going to argue one way or another for it. That's up to you. Because in the end, it's just a day. Martin Luther nailed 95 theses on the wall of a church. Or on the door of a church, rather. Challenging the papacy at the time. He didn't do it to start a revolution and create a new church. He did it to correct the current system. So we refer to it now as Reformation Day because it started a reformation. A reformation of the church. He didn't want to recreate the church. He wanted to make it like it was in Scripture. And so he was calling the papacy, the offices in Rome, out on some of their heresies. And they chased them for it. And we see that repeated through history from that point on. I have my own ancestors who were ran out of France because they saw things different. Running a church in France saw things different than the church in Rome saw things. And so the French Catholic Church and the Roman Catholic Church were doing different things. The Roman Catholic Church ran the French Catholic Church into England. My ancestors ran to England during the Reformation. And then when Catholic Church took over in England and they were being Protestant, they were chased out of England to America. And that's why you have parties in America today. Just a little bit of my history. That don't make me any holier than any of you. Because my ancestors also did some bad things. And they did some good things. But if we even read in the Old Testament and Ezekiel, we're not accountable to the sins of our parents. We're only accountable to our own sins. A lot of people say that we're punishable we can be punished for what our parents did. We can't. God holds us each to our own. Each to our own. 
The only time we're accountable for the sins of other people is when we do nothing to inform them of the glory of Christ. If he's given us an opportunity to warn our brother or our sister of the sins they're committed and we don't take that opportunity, then we are accountable. But if we take that opportunity and they still continue on, it's on them. It's also explained in Ezekiel. You'd be amazed when you're reading through the Old Testament how many times you see Christ come up before Jesus was even born. But Paul's telling the people here in Colossae, don't worry about all these regulations. They're man-made. Worry about what God has done for you and that you answer to Him. And so back in verse 23, it says, Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and the severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgent, carrying over in, in chapter 3. It says, So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you die, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. See, Paul carried on over explaining to them who they belong to. And that's what caught my attention when I was reading. We tend to separate these letters in the chapters, but this one starts with the word so. That tells me there's something before that that we need to read. And that's why I backtracked. And I read before that. And he's telling them to, if... If you've been raised with Christ, then seek the things of Christ. Act like you're raised with Christ. Live like you're raised with Christ. Put your mind on those things. And get your mind off the things that are of this world. In verse 5 he says, Therefore, he's giving you action now. He's telling you what to do. He says, Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on a new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision, non-circumcision, barbarian, scathian, slave and free. But Christ is all and in all. He's telling us how to live. That if Christ has called us to love, then everything that is the opposite of love is what we need to be putting on. Because when you have anger, you're not showing love. When you're wrathful towards somebody, you're not showing love for that person. When you have malice towards somebody, you can't love them. When you're slandering somebody, when you're talking about them, when you're gossiping, you can't love somebody. That's not love. When you have filthy language 
in your mouth, you're not showing love toward the people around you. When you lie to one another, you're not showing love to those people. You see, Paul knew that you needed to be truthful, that you needed to speak kind things to one another, not for the sake of being kind, but for the sake of loving each other. You can give correction without being malice. You can give correction without being hateful. You can give correction without showing anger. You can give correction without wrath. Parents do it all the time. You can correct somebody sternly and still show love. Because you want to protect them. You want them to live a safe life. God wants us to treat each other that same way. To offer the correction for somebody's sins, whatever lifestyle they're living in, by showing them love and kindness. Instead of pointing out that that's a sin and you're going to hell, I want you to point out, you know God loves you. He wants better for you. Can we pray about it? Can I offer a prayer for you? That you would feel conviction for what you're doing. And honor God and yourself and your family by changing this habit. There's different ways to do that. You don't have to be so forceful. You don't have to give in to the rules and regulations society has put on us. Today we have to be so careful about what we say about people or say to people or even what we joke about nowadays or we might get canceled. Might get cut off. Might get kicked off of this platform or that platform. Some of us know more about that than others. <laughs> but uh, it's okay. Why are we so worried about it? Those are society rules. In 10 years, they'll change. 10 years ago, it was completely acceptable. 100 years ago, it was even more acceptable to do different things. That doesn't mean that it was right. And just because it's not right now doesn't mean it was ever actually wrong. It's just the way things change. The way people view things. Right and wrong isn't ours to decide. It's God's. And He's already given us the list that hasn't changed for 4,000 years. When you go back to Genesis, it's four plus thousand years old. Now, I ain't arguing a young earth and saying that's as old as the earth. I'm saying that's as old as the scripture has been written. And over the course of 1,500, 1,600 years, 40 different authors wrote a single book 
speaks the exact same message. And that message never changed. Love God. Love the people around you enough to tell them about God. That message didn't change. And it hasn't changed today. If we were to gather all the letters from influential ministers and evangelists over the last 2,000 years together, the message would still be the same that we had then. Whether it's Augustus or Billy Graham, it's the same message. God loves you. And he wanted you to be with him. And 2,000 years ago, he made that possible through Christ Jesus. And I'm here to tell you now, whatever rules or regulations society throws at us, Christ Jesus is the only way to God. He is the only path that leads to God. We know where Muhammad is buried. His bones are still there. We know where Buddha is. His bones are still there. We know every other influential speaker that has ever lived throughout history, their bones are still somewhere. But Jesus Christ's body is not resting on this earth because he is risen and resurrected. And physically in heaven. Because he is the only way to heaven. He is more than an influential speaker. He is God incarnate. So I would ask anybody who is on the fence today, give your life to Give your life to Christ. If you're having troubles or you're concerned about something, give it over to Christ. If something is bothering your heart, ask Christ in to help you with it. If you're struggling with a conviction or a sin, pray about it. Talk to others about it. By all means, confess it to God so that He can do something about it. I can't judge you. Nobody in this room can really judge you. God can. He is the one you confess to. So I'd like to open the altar to anybody who is willing to come to it. Or if you would like to pray where you're at, that is perfectly okay. So I'd ask that everyone would bow their heads and close their eyes. Nobody looking around. We'll open the altar and as music plays, if you feel a need to come and pray, please do so. And if you need to just ask prayer, raise your hand right where you're at. We'll, we'll pray for you. Yes, yes ma'am. Yes.